got some good tans on you. Welcome back from your trip. Friends, family. You know what's funny? I was, you know that song, Promises? I was singing that song in my head as they tow my car away, right? I was like, oh, man, Lola. She's old, guys. My car's old. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll see if she still survives this trip. I still think she has one last uh, push in her. We'll see. All right. Hey, guys, welcome to TLC. My name is Tony. If you guys did not know, I am the EM pastor here, the associate pastor. Um, today's uh, topic, or we've been talking, actually the series that we've been going through for the past month or so is the series on the life of a disciple, right? And I, I want to repeat this to you guys because uh, this isn't, these aren't suggestions that Jesus is saying that if you're going to follow me, I suggest you do these things, pick and choose which one you like. Jesus is saying, look, if I am real, right, and I am Lord, then, then these aren't suggestions for you, but these are actually the qualifications of what it looks like to be someone who follows after me. Someone who calls himself um, my disciple. Someone who calls himself, who calls me their Lord. So as we've been going through this series, I, I really want to kind of encourage you guys to go back and look at it in certain areas and ask you, yourself the question, are these qualifications a mark of my life? Are these qualifications a mark of who I am as I declare that I'm a follower of Jesus? Right? No one's saying that do it right away and be perfect about it, but are these what is part of my, daily day, my day-to-day activities and as I live my life, as I work out my life? Do I see these things being a part of who I am? Right? And that's what we've been suggesting. We've talked a lot of different topics, but today we're going to talk about a very heavy topic, sort of, right? Or at least a very near and dear topic. It's about money. Right? It's a disciple's approach when it comes to money. Now, here's the truth, guys. I can't preach on money like Jesus did. You know why? Because if I preach on money the way Jesus did, we probably no longer have a church, right? Because Jesus talked about money a lot more than he talked about a lot of other things. You know why? Because in the life of the people in which he ministers to, which I think is the same with us, money still has a powerful control over their life. Whether directly or implicitly, right, or explicitly, Money had a power and a control in their life. And so Jesus, being Lord, understood this. And so the majority of his messages tackles the heavy topic of money. Right? And as pastors, not going to lie to you, money a, is a very sensitive topic to talk about when it comes to the life of a follower. Because a lot of times when people hear the pastor talk about money, their automatic conclusion is, oh, pastor is just looking for people to give money to the church. Right? And that's not the answer at all, because I really want you guys to understand how Jesus calls his disciples to approach the topic of money. And I really want you guys to do a heart search about the way you have handled and the way you are handling your money. So today, three things. I'm going to talk to you guys about how does money exercise this power and this control over you. Second thing is, why does money, ex- why does money exercise power and control over you? And three what to do to be free of it, okay? How does money exercise power and control over you? Why does it exercise power and control over you? And ultimately, how do you get free of it? What to do to be free of this? All right, so open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go from 19 to 24. 
I had this uh, question I've been asking a lot of young students. I, you know, like, hey, define to me what you guys think greed is. And so they all gave up some answers. You know, I've been asking these kids who I tutor at Elite, my other workplace. I've been asking the youth group students what greed looks like. What, what is their definition of greed? And after I asked them their definition of greed, I would ask them, who do you know that personifies that definition. And they will, you know, they'll, they'll start throwing out big names. They'll be throwing out like Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, like, did the bro really have to go to space? We get it. You got money, right? Trump, does a guy really need another t- hotel? Seriously? We get it. You're president. Ooh, right? Or ex-president, right? The one percenters, whoever they are, they're up there. What are they doing with their money? They all, they're the elites, right? And so they have, we have this definition. So my follow-up question is this. It's always to them. Do you think you're greedy? You know what their answer is? They want to be humble, so they never say, oh, no. They say, not as greedy as them. Right? Not as greedy as those guys. I want to share with you what Jesus talks about when it comes to money today. Right? And I want you guys to do a heart search when about this. Because it is something that we are sometimes, I think, blinded by. Open your Bibles, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Check this out. How does money exercise power slash control over us? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right? How does money exercise power and control over us? Okay? Now check this out. In verse 19 and verse 21, it talks about treasures and storing up the treasures in heaven, not on earth. And then later on, verse 24, it talks about you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or money. You can't serve both, right? Um, And then there was this middle section that was kind of weird. It starts talking about the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, Within this section, that two verses is sandwiched by money talk, right? So did Jesus all of a sudden kind of went schizo and said, like, oh, let me talk about the eyes now, right? Did he said, like, you know, I'm going to be an optometrist for a second and just tell you about how your eyes should be looking, right? No. There's a reason. So if the top is about money, the bottom part's about money, guess what that middle part is also about? Money. It's also about money. So I know the question you're asking is, what does the eye being the lamp of the body have anything to do with money? This is the question we're going to ask. It. How does money exercise power and control over us? You know how it does that? It blinds us. It blinds us. That's why Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, if you're not blinded, then the very thing within you is free. But if your eyes are not good, then darkness is there. The thing about money that we don't really honestly sometimes see is that money has the power to control and to blind you. 
okay? Greed and materialism, the desire and the dependence on that, okay, over these inordinate things, is, is, has a way of, bind, uh, of blinding you to its own power. See, think about all the sins out there, okay? Think about the sins that, that, that Jesus talks about. Every sin, you know you pretty much are conducting it, right? Every sin. So, for example, if you commit adultery, you don't have to ask, am I committing adultery, right? Just look at the person beneath you. Is that your husband? Is that your wife? No, you're committing adultery. It's pretty easy, right? But if you ask the question, am I greedy? Am I greedy? You're like, mm, I don't know. I'm not so sure. Do you know why? Right? It's because sometimes we're so blinded that we don't see that we're greedy. See, greed, the, the, the symptom of the sin of greed is that it blinds us, it darkens our eyes, and we always say, that's not true of me, right? If I was a Jeff Bezos, I would never do that. Be careful. Be careful. Because what I'm trying to share with you today is this, very simple. You may be actually caught in the sin of greed, and you don't even know it. Because your eyes are blinded to it. Okay? How does money exercise power and control over us? It darkens our eyes so that we don't even know and realize that we actually may be greedy. Let me give you some examples of what I mean by this, okay? You just graduate college. You're a greenhorn. You have a degree that's $80,000 that you owe in debt, student debt, right? Maybe more for some of you guys. You have no job experience, right? Because you wanted to explore the world while you're in college, and there you are, you explored it. Now you have more debt, credit card debt, on top of your um, student loan debt. And you're about to enter the world, and you get a job. Pays really well, but you don't like the job. It wasn't what you majored in. You're not even good at it, but it pays really well, and you take it. But you don't ask those questions about does it really serve a purpose? Does it actually do good for those around me? Does it actually bring good? You don't ask those questions. You guys know why you don't ask that question at this moment in your life? Because the money's too good. Right? And what is the thing that you go through in your mind? I'll just work it for a few years. I'll work for a few years. I'll get the, you know, the money. I'll pay off a little bit of debt. And then I'll go and pursue something I really love. I'm really good at. You don't really ask the question right there and then. When the job is offered to you, the paycheck is about to be signed, and you look at it, and you ask more zeros than you've seen in a while, right? You don't ask the question, is this actually good? Does this serve a purpose? Is this actually going to be um, something that's going to be great for me, or, uh, it's going to, or is it going to give me a certain status in life? We don't ask for those things because we're blinded by the money. The money's too good. And what do you do? You work on it. And you realize the more you work, the more you can't get out of it, huh? What, what started out as, as a two-year trial run to save up some money ends up being a five- to ten-year life dependency because all of a sudden with more money comes more bills and more bills comes more responsibilities and more responsibility comes this nasty cycle. But the whole time in the beginning, I wasn't greedy. I wasn't seeking for something. I was just trying to, you know, get through life. The money's too good. Money's too good. Are you asking the question, is it, is it going to do good for the world around me? You're not asking those questions. Why? Greed has the power to blind you. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? 
Because he realized that he knew that there's something that goes on in the human spirit that is constantly blinded by this thing called greed. Right? Give me another example. In the conduct of your job, the job that you are in right now, right? Many companies are making money, but they are hurting towns, cities, people, neighborhoods by doing that job. Do you think people in the boardroom are sitting around like kind of twiddling their thumb and says, can't wait for the next town we're going to ruin? Of course not, right? No one says that. No one asks those questions. Why? Money's too good. And you're blinded to the job. Right? You're not asking. You're not asking the hard questions whether the deals your company is making is good for people. Whether the deals you are brokering is good for people. You're not asking whether you're hurting anybody. You don't want to know. And you know why you don't want to know? Because money has a power to blind you. If I don't know, then I don't feel bad. As long as I get the paycheck. You're not even asking. Because why? Jesus says, you're blind. That's how money exercises power and control over you. Now, give me another example. Let's say you rub shoulders with people who are a few pay grades higher than you. And you never ask them whether they actually are rich or not because they probably won't admit that they're rich. Not to you. You think they're rich, but they won't admit it because why? Because those people are rubbing shoulders with people who are at a higher pay grade than them. And because you're constantly rubbing these shoulders as a higher pay level than you are, what do you do? You're not asking the hard questions like, do I really need that car that this person has? Like this person? Do I really need those shoes? Do I really need that suit? Do I really have to have that? You don't ask those questions because money has the power to blind you. I'll give you a great example of this. If you guys think, like, that's not me, I'll give you a great example of this, right? My son, you know what he always says to me? He says, I can't wait till I turn 10, Dad. I'm like, why? Because every 10-year-old and above I know has a, has a Nintendo Switch. At 10 years old, I can get a Nintendo Switch. I'm so excited. I was like, I got three more years to go. I'm saving my money up for that. I said, I said have you ever asked, do you really need the Nintendo Switch? I said, everyone, daddy, 10 and above, has a Switch. I'm like, name some. You know, Asia has one and Steven has one, right? They're my CM leaders, right? I mean, that's true. Uncle Kevin has one, right? It's like, everyone has one, dad. Everyone 10 years and above has it. But he does not know one thing, right? He's not asking the question that I really need it. He's not asking that question. Because if he's really asking that question, he knows that by the time he's 10 or 12, people are not looking into that switch as like, you know, wow. They're, they're, they're aiming for what? The custom-made computer, made, a gaming computer, you know, made by our brother Peter Lee, you know, who puts these things together, right? Like, I can't wait for that $1,000 computer, right? You guys laugh because you're like, dude, how does he know, right? You know? That's the thing. Greed has the power to blind you. And so instead of asking real questions like, do I really need this? Does it really do good? Does it really help? Does it really create something beautiful? Does it really bring flourishing? You don't ask those questions because here you are rubbing shoulders with someone at a higher pay grade than you, thinking, look at what they have. If I have that, then surely things will be okay. Not knowing that when you get there, you're trying to rub shoulder with someone even higher than you. We are blinded by the chase. Constantly. You know that. You're always 
chasing, especially when it comes to money. There's always a chase. No amount is actually good enough. You're thinking, no, there's an amount. Get that amount, right? My son thinks I'm a millionaire, right? I'm not a millionaire, but he doesn't know that. He, just, he thinks I'm a millionaire. And he's just chasing after, like, I, Daddy, I can't. You could do, you, there's no problem. You can buy this for me. I'm like, do I look that rich to you? Like, how, do you, how rich do you think I am, bro, right? He says, oh, oh we can't, uh, you know, like, oh, there's no food at home. It's okay, Daddy. You can buy dinner, right? I was like, bro, seriously, right? But he, he has this mentality, Daddy's super rich. Wait till he actually gets to Daddy's status, and he's going to realize, how did we even do that? Like, how did we live, Daddy? Like, I don't know. Jesus' miracle, honestly, right? You see, you always feel some number is big. When I tell him, like, how much I make, he's like, whoa, right? I tell people my age how much I make, they're like, whoa, man. Right? It's different. It's different. It's a whole different story, you know? Because when you rub shoulder with someone higher, you always think, wow, that's so much greater. But when they get there, and when you get there, you're like, just a little more. Just a little more. You know why? Because money has the power to blind you. That's, 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 the sin, that's the symptom of that sin. It blinds you. So if you are blinded, you don't begin to ask real questions. Questions like, does this job actually help people? You don't ask questions like, did I, did I sell my soul for this job? You don't ask that question you did when you were in college, thinking, you know what? I want my life and what I do to have purpose, to help, to bless people. But now that I'm actually in the real world, adulting and doing all that stuff, I realize I have all these bills to pay, all these things to do. And you're not asking questions about whether I can help people anymore. You're asking questions like, okay, well, I'm not going to ask those questions because I just need to get through this next few months or a few years or a few decades. Then... Then I can have enough. And when you, caught, when you get caught in that chase, it's never enough. Now, here's a question. Here's a second question. Right? Or, so if, if, um, if money has the power to blind us, then the question I have to ask you guys as followers of Christ, or just as, as, as people who are, who are here, right, do you have anyone in your life that actually helps you to see that? If Jesus tells us that money has the power to blind us, then the question is, do you have people in your life that helps you to see that? You see, what, what Jesus does all the time is that when, not only does he share with us individually, this is the issue, but he puts us in a community to help us with that. The community we call the church. It's not the building, but it's the people around us. Do you have people in your life who will look at you and ask, hey, man, do you really need to buy that? I, I get it. You need a car, but did you really need that car, right? Did you really need to have that? Do you have people in your life asking, hey, are you living in the budget? Or are you living above your budget? Right? This is how much you make, but this is how much I'm looking at you and what you're spending. I don't feel like, are you, are you having a debt right now? Are you in debt? Do you have people in your life who is asking these questions for you? Are you budgeting? Are you giving? All right. What Christians have you authorized to, let, to speak that truth into your life? Have you let anyone speak that truth into your life? Think about that. You probably won't. You know why? 
Because you would hate for them to see what you actually have and don't have. Rather than realizing what? I am blinded to money. And I do need accountability. And I do need help. Not so that they can dictate what you buy, but that they can walk with you and say, hey, do you really need that? Do you really, you know, like, I, I'll tell you the truth. You know, we, we uh, Trisha and I, you know, one of our mentors is a, a couple in our church, right, and Wang Jitu. And you know what they always taught us? They're like doctors and, you know, doctor of nursing and actually he's like a PhD. He has an MD in child psychology, you know. They make pretty good money, I think, right? I'm not sure. I never asked them how much they make, but I know they make pretty much money, right? But here's the thing. The way they deal with the stuff in their home is always like this. We don't need the newest one. We just need the most useful one. It's like, for example, a couch. What is the purpose of a couch? To sit on. As long as I have a couch that I can sit on and feel comfortable, it's good. Doesn't matter where it came from, Goodwill, uh, Salvation Army, or out on the street. If it fits its purpose, we'll have that. You know? And do you know how many oftentimes Anwar will look at me and says, do you really need that? And it's not like stuff. It's like, do you really need to eat that? I was like, but it's so good, right? Right, do you really need that steak? I mean, like, any steak is pretty good, right? But I was like, but have you had this steak, though? Have you had it, you know? But that's the question you always ask, right? Why? Because we need accountability. Because if this is something that blinds you, you're going to have to need somebody that can help you see it. And the worst thing you can do, though, for yourself, church, is surrounded by people who are blinded just like you. And they're just trying to reach the next place. The worst thing you can do is try to rub shoulders and try to like, hey, you know, we all need to be here. Rather than actually surrounding your pe- yourself with people, mentors, people who love you that would say, hey, do you really think that life would be all perfect when you get there? How does, power, how does money have power and control over us? It blinds us to the reality that we are actually a lot more greedy than we know. We use the idea of a Jeff Bezos, a Trump, um, with Bill Gates, those guys, right, as the escape tool to say, you know what, if I had that money, I would do so much better with it. When we're not asking the deeper and real question that's going on in our hearts at this moment. If you're not dealing with it now, you think you're going to deal with it later? That's foolish. If you're not having the real conversation about what money does to your heart now, all of a sudden you think you're going to be altruistic when you get to that place? That's foolish. You can only say that because you don't have it. Right? Think about that. My son can look at me and says, Daddy, you're a millionaire. Right? Or he can look at you and say, you guys are probably millionaires. And he can probably think, if I get to, you know, so uncle so-and-so or auntie so-and-so's age, I can buy all the candy in the world and give it to all these people in RCM every day, right? That's what he's probably thinking. And guess what happened when he gets to your age? He ain't going to buy no candy for everybody, right? Because he'll be like, whoa, hold on. I need more money <laughs> to do this. Because he's going to think higher. But that's the, way, that's the way money plays with us. That's why greed, the sin of it, messes with us. It blinds us to the reality and helps us to not ask real questions. Would you take a lower-paying job if it does good? 
or you say, I just, I just need, I'm not, I'm not saying that one job or the other is bad or good, right? But I'm asking you the question, are you even asking? Or are you just turning a blind eye and just going at it just because money's too good? Okay? Here's the second thing. Why does money have power over you? Okay? How it does it, it blinds you, but, but why does it have power over you? Look at verse 21. This is what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I look at your bank account, if you look at your bank account, what is it and where is it that most of the money goes to? What do you spend it on? What's the majority of the accounts, transactions, right? Money is a way of getting significance for us. You know why, you know, you know why money has power over you? Because money helps you feel superior to other people. It makes you feel like you're worth it or makes you feel you're worthy, right? One of, the money, one of the reasons why we spend so much and not give it away like we should is because money gives us a sense of significance. It gives us a sense of authority. It gives us a sense of superiority. The fact that we could eat a certain way, the fact that we can drive a certain car, the fact that we can um, do Certain things makes us feel important, make us feel better, makes us feel a little bit more superior than somebody else, okay? And the higher we get up in the social economic ladder, we don't just look below and say, hey, you're below me economically, but you look and you say, you're below me, period. This is true of the human condition. Don't you guys realize that? This is true of the human heart. That the higher you climb in the economic ladder, when you look at someone who is poor, you're not looking at them with respect. You pity them. You may feel sorry for them. You may even try to help them. But all the while, you look at them thinking that somehow you're in a better place and better off than they are. And actually even superior, smarter, and made better choices than they did. There is an arrogance of superiority. Now, maybe not spoken out loud, but there. Right? When we feel better economically, we feel better. It's an automatic response, and it's so fast. It happens so fast that you don't even realize it. It's just this natural reflex that comes with the human condition, the rebellious heart that we have. This need to feel significant, this need to feel better, this need to feel superior. Why does money have power over you? Because money gives you this false sense of significance. Money gives you this blinded sense of significance. But the second reason why money has that power over you is that money gives you this sense of control and security. Doesn't it? A lot of us, we have a huge saving account. Why? Okay? Because you're afraid. This world is uncontrollable, but as long as I have an account that I can hold on to, it makes me feel a little bit more secure. Makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. Jesus is running after these things can't add a minute to your life. In verse 27 later on, he says, you worry about these things, but they can't add a single thing to your life. Money can't stop death. Money can't stop tragedy. Money can't stop broken relationship. But somehow you feel that if I have it, I can feel secure. And that's why money has that power over you. It gives you a false sense of significance, and it gives you a false sense of security and control. Because you put your identity in those things. 
When your identity is placed in the wrong thing, in something that's fleeting, it will go and come just like money is. Right? Why does money have power and control over us? It gives you a false sense of significance and a false sense of self-control or security and control. So last question I want to ask today as you really discern this, okay? Because if you're still thinking, PT, I don't think I'm as greedy still. I really need you to stop and think about that for a second. Just stop. Because it could be that you are more blinded than you know. Okay? It could be that you are more blinded than you realize. How do we break the power of money in our lives? Look at verse 19 and 20. That's what Jesus says here. Because obviously, he says, you can't serve two masters. Either you serve me or you serve money. Right? And so he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do we get to a place where you can be radically generous? Where money is a means to an end in your life. Not a, not a, not, not, not a significance or security or control. But it becomes a mere means to an end where you're able to be radically generous with it. Where you live in a place where you're not worrying about money and the identity and the value that money gives to you as a human being. How do I get to that place? I know how it controls me. It blinds me. I know why it controls me. But how do I free myself from that? Now, what Jesus is saying here is this picture of treasure. Right? You know what a treasure is? Treasure is something that you look at and you say to yourself, if I can just have this, it will be worth it. If I can just have it, I will be worth it. A treasure can look in any possible way. It can be in money. It can be in relationship. It could be with children. It could be with work. It could be with love. Whatever it is that you look at and you say to yourself, if I would just have this, my life would be significantly better. My world will be significantly better. I will be worth it, right? This is what I've made as my value, as my beauty. What is it that you treasure? And Jesus is telling us, don't put your treasure, don't make your treasure be here on earth. Don't let your treasure be here because all the treasures on earth, what happens? They decay. Moth comes in, right? It rusts and it gets destroyed. All things on this earth, whatever you put your treasure in, it will eventually disappear. We all have something we, tre we treasure. We all have something we treasure. Okay? Money, relationship, work, beauty. Anything that your soul treasures, you'll pay any price to get it. Isn't that true? Anything that your soul treasures, you'll pay any price for it. When I was, uh, when 2008 happened, I remember um, when all the, the, uh, after school tutoring, SAT student tutoring programs were shut down because, you know, the recession hit and parents weren't able to kind of pay for their kids' education anymore. My boss, my, the CEO of, not my, not my branch, but the boss of my, my, my school, the elite, right, that I work at, he doubled down on it. Everyone was closing shop because he thought, you know, no, one, no parent can pay. Everyone's lost their money. You know what he said? No. I'm going to double down on our program. Everyone thought he was crazy. He says, nobody, we're going to lose, you're going to go bankrupt, all the money you're borrowing, you're going to lose it all because there is no way that they can pay for it. And he said, like, this is what he said to all of his teachers and all of his administrators. He says, you guys don't understand people, especially Asian parents. 
The education of their kid is their treasure. And they will pay any price for it. I guarantee you. It's like, no way. It's like, as a, he said, first of all, y'all not have, none of y'all have kids. That's why you guys don't know, right? Trust me. Borrows gang, it's Dr. It's Dr. Park now, borrows gang loads of money, opens up even more branches. And you know what happened? Elite is one of the top SAT schools in the West Coast. Even I think it's moving on to the East Coast now. Why? Because parents, he knew, would get a third, fourth job, never showing up to see their kids, eating dinner with them, just so that they can pay for the education. You know why? You know why? Because whatever you treasure, you'll pay any price to keep it. You follow? Right? You don't realize that, but you guys do the same thing. When you, have, when you, when you just fall in love in the first time, there's that, that huge infatuation stage, what you would do? You would do anything. You would drive six hours if they asked you to. Right? You would drive opposite direction. Nowadays, you probably won't because you've been there long enough and the evacuation is gone. But when you're first there, you would go anywhere for them, would you not? Don't look. You would. I know, I know young boys who would start doing all these chores in the home just so they can get enough money to buy a person a gift. Right? Dude, you would do anything. You know why? Because simply this. Where your treasure is, you will give whatever it takes to keep it and to hold on to it. That's what treasures do. They make you die, metaphorically, or even physically, to keep it. Every treasure. In your pursuit for money, career, status, what does it do? It literally robs you of your life. You sacrifice your children. Right? We don't do actual sacrifice anymore, but we sacrifice their lives emotionally. We don't, I mean, we're thinking like, oh, at least I pay for their school and I'm doing all these for them. I'm feeding them, but you're not with them. They don't have the attention of their mom or their dad. They're not there to see the support and the strength, both parents, because why? Whatever it is that holds you, that you treasure, it will destroy you in order to keep it. Only Jesus, the treasure of heaven, listen to this, only Jesus, the treasure of heaven, was willing to die for you. All other treasures makes you die for it. Yet only the treasure of heaven dies for you. Right? Anything you make your supreme will ask you to die for me. Jesus is the only one that says, I will die for you. To keep you. Now here's the thing. Only when you begin to see Jesus as your treasure can you actually be free from money. Only when you begin to See Jesus as your treasure. Can you be free from the greed of money? Not just with money, but with anything. You become free of it when you understand that he is your treasure and he is yours. Because you're willing to pay any price for him. You're willing to let go anything for him. But here's the thing. What does it mean to treasure Jesus? Okay? I know you guys are. What does it mean to treasure Jesus? Think of Jesus Christ. He had every comfort. He had every authority. He had the ultimate. He was the ultimate treasure. He had the ultimate status. And what did he do? He came to earth. He was stripped of everything he had. His dignity, his significance, his worth, his value, his life. He died. He lost all of his treasure. And you only die for something. Listen, you only die for something that is your precious. You only give your life 
As you guys already well know, you are only giving your life away for something that you think is precious. And so when Jesus came and he stripped himself of everything he had and he gave his life, you know what that means? He saw you as something precious to him. He saw you as treasures to him. And anything you treasure, you're willing to lay down whatever it is for. When Jesus Christ looked at you, the king of heaven, lord of this earth, master, when he saw you, he said, this is more precious to me than anything in this world, even my life. So precious that I will sacrificially lay it down for them. That's how far I'll go for this treasure. When that knowledge and that truth hits you, right? When you realize that you were a treasure to God and he will go through any length to save you. If you know that he cares for you like that, that knowledge alone is able to free you from greed and free you from actually almost anything. When you begin to struggle with relationship, why are you in a relationship? Oftentimes you're in a relationship because you get something out of it, right? You're just there. You're in this relationship. It's like, you know, I give you something, you give me something. It's kind of this exchange that we do, this transaction. But when Jesus becomes your treasure, what happens? You can enter into any relationship and say, you know what, I don't need anything from you. But I'm able to give to you anyways. How free is that? When you're in a relationship and you don't actually need for their love to return. But without Jesus, what happens? You're looking for that because that's your treasure. You want to feel that love return. You want to feel that in exchange. You want to feel like you're not losing something out of this. But if Jesus is your treasure, you're like, why do I need to worry about how precious your love is to me when I have the love of the Father? Do you know my identity? Do you know my identity? I'm a son and daughter of the living God. I'm so precious to him that Jesus him, himself would give his life for me. And you think I worry about this relationship, whether I get something out of it or not? I'm not. I can serve you without needing to be served back. You see that? How about with money? Why do you beat each other and kill each other for that promotion? When you begin to realize, you know what, I, if, I, if I don't get it, I don't get it. It's all right. What is the treasures of earth when I have the treasure of the king? When I have the promise of the king? What does treasure of earth mean when I have the love of this king and all that comes with it? I already know my worth. I already know my value. I know what I have. So whether I have a lot or a little on this plane, it means absolutely nothing. It doesn't give me more significance, and it doesn't give me more control or security because I know who holds significance, and I know who holds the control in this world. And I'm his son, and I'm his daughter. It frees you guys. It has the power to free you. When Jesus is your treasure, when you understand how much he treasures you, it has the power to free you. 
Now, these are the signs of how he frees you from money. This is, this is how you know that at least you're moving towards that direction, that you're being free from this. That the master of your life is not God. Because right? ultimately he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't have a win-win situation here. It's either I am Lord or money is Lord. Either I am God or money is God. It's whether I am your treasure or money is your treasure. And this is how you know. These are the signs of how you know he has freed you from this or is freeing you from this. You don't feel superior or envious over someone who is rich. You don't feel superior or envious over someone who is rich. Because you know that they're a sinner saved by grace just like you. There's nothing about their money that makes them better than you or worse than you. Because poor people can feel superior to rich people. You know that, right? In pride. A poor person can feel very superior to a rich person in pride. He says, look at me. I'm not like that rich guy. I care for poor people. I care for others. I, I, I respect my fellow man unlike that rich person. That's pride. How do you know you're being free? A rich or poor person, whether you are or not, you don't feel envious or superior to a rich person. Second thing, you respect the poor. You look at the poor and you're able to learn from them. Let me, let me get that. You learn from them. You're not just tossing money at them because you feel like they just need it. You sit there and you actually learn from them. You hear their story. You know their background. You understand their issues. You don't just lump them up into a group of poor. Here's my money. Go back to living my lifestyle. You learn from the poor. You learn from their stories. You learn from where they're at. And here's this, the third thing. You get really generous. Your eyes are open. You're constantly looking at how to give and how to help. Right? Not grudgingly, but joyfully. Your eyes are open, and you begin to realize that what you have is a means to an end. You believe, in marriage counseling, I tell this to all our married couples, right, especially when they learn to deal with money, because money is the number one reason why people get divorced, right, how they budget money, how they don't budget money, hiding money, right, or use money. If you don't see money correctly, you will lead yourself and your family into a very huge hole or very huge issue, and you're going to have fights, and divorce happens because of money. So one of the things I always tell couples when, when we do marriage counseling is like, look, do you know that money does not belong to you? Everything on this earth belongs to God. Therefore, money does not belong to you. The money you have, right, is simply because you are now a steward of what God has given to you. So the question you ask with the money that you have is that, God, what am I supposed to do with this? And God gave you that money sometimes. Why? Because he says, first, you have to pay your bills, right? You have to pay your bills. Because I need you to live if you're going to help me, serve me, and do the work that I have called for you. So you're going to have to pay your bills. You have to eat. Now, what you eat, you have to really decide about that, right? But you have to eat. You have to have a roof. You can't be sick. Right? You have to watch for your health. I have this money for you for your needs. But here's the other thing. But you have to trust me that I have enough for your needs. I will always give you enough for your needs. But here's, you have to trust me on this. But then... After all of that, God, what am I supposed to do with this? Now is the question. 
right? I have prepared this money for you for this purpose, A, B, C, D, or E. And you figure it out. But are you even asking those questions? Are you asking the question, God, why did you give this to me? Why do I have it? And what do you need me to do with it? It's yours, not mine. So what am I supposed to do with it? Show me. Right? I know for some of you guys who are sitting there, you're like, well, what's the amount, PT? Like, you know, like 1%, you know, because I can live. I really need 99, I think, right? <laughs> right? Let me, tell, let me ask you this. The idea of I'll give 10% to Jesus and then 90% I'll do whatever I want, okay? That's the wrong math. You realize that? Because all 100 belongs to Jesus, 10% is you give to the work that he has specifically for the church. The other 90, you have to ask, what is it that you want me to do with this, God? Not just straight up say, oh, it's all for me. But to ask the question, what is it that you want me to do with the other 90%? Right? So how much? Some of you guys, oh, this is, this is it right here. PT is going to drop a number, okay? I'm not going to drop a number. I'm going to drop a, a phrase. You have to look at what Jesus did, Right? How much did he give of his blood? 0.7 liters? Right? There's seven liters in the, in the human body, right, of blood? How much did he give? 0.7? He gave all of it, right? He gave, the key word is sacrificially. He gave sacrificially. Taking up your cross is not just in social issue, but in financial issues as, as, as well, right? That means you have to give money away in such a way. To, 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 to see that your growth, you give money in a way where it becomes a sacrifice for you. Where you feel like it's a sacrifice. Some of us, 10%, that's an arbitrary number, guys. Honestly, if you're going to talk about Old Testament uh, tithing, it's like 26%, honestly, right? And you're like, if I said, hey, guys, 26%, you'd be like, you'd be freaking out, you know? 10% is an arbitrary number. For some of us, 10%, 10% is life and death for us, some of us, right? Are you poor college students? 10% is life and death. You give sacrificially. But some of us, 10% is not. It's not. All right? I know how much my son has in his savings and his, uh, his thing, right? If he gave a dollar to church for tithing, I'll probably be mad at him, right? Because I know you can afford way more than that, bro, right? Way more than that. For him, $1 is not a sacrifice. It's not. But some of us, it could be. And the point of it is not about the amount you give. The point of it is the heart of the giving. And if the heart of the giving is it, are you giving in a way that's sacrificial? Now, here's my word. You don't have to give to church in a sacrificial way. If you decide in your heart, PT, I want to give generously to all of these groups that I want to help expand God's kingdom with. Do that. Please. Right? You know, as a church, we, we used to be in a smaller room than this. I, we can survive if we downgraded, right? We didn't have all these instruments. We can, we can survive if we downgraded. That's not the point. The point is, if you walk away with your heart that says, I want to give in this life generously, I've done my job as a pastor. I want to give generously to places that I feel passionate about, consistently, committedly to that place, to help. If you're really passionate about breaking people out of the cycle of poverty, then give in that area consistently, committedly. If you're really passionate about expanding God's kingdom and his gospel and his good news, then give to a place that would do that. If you're really passionate about the poor, 
then give to a place that would actually do that. There are places and there are things in our organization that you can obviously and honestly give to all the time that does good work, real work. But the question is, are you giving sacrificially? Or is this kind of like, whatever is left over, I'll give this to God. I'll give this to this part. Giving, generous giving, generous giving is when you begin to feel, wow, that was a sacrifice. That, that, hit, that hit home a little bit. Because why? The treasure of heaven, they don't just give us 10%. He gave us his whole entire life. We give. We give what we have. Because he has given everything for us. He has given everything for us. He has established our identity. He has given us a freedom and a road for freedom. He has given this to us. So the worst that can happen in this life is that you give back what's already his. So my prayer, guys, is when, as a believer, do some soul searching. Look at your budget. What are you spending your money on? What are you spending the means that God has given to you for the work that he has planned with for you? What are you doing with it? Look at your budget. Look at what you're spending most of it on. Right? And ask yourself the question, could it be true that I might be blind to this issue of greed? Could it be true that I have used money as a security and a control for my life or a sense of significance for my life? Could it be true that the one thing I actually treasure is money itself? And could it be true that my life, even at this moment, that I'm bending over backwards, killing hours in health just to get it? And if it is true that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then could it be true that there is a freedom out there for me? And the answer is yes. Yes. All freedom and all healing always comes with a little bit of pain first. Don't you know that? It comes with a little pain first before you see the freedom that comes out of it. I was, when I was um, getting told, right, this, the, the guy was told me, I was, I was kind of mad because he showed up like literally three hours after I called, right? And I was annoyed. And the whole thing, I just came back from this retreat that I was, I was, I was called to have because Pastor Lynn wanted all the staff to have mental health, you know, so he wants us to go and mentally, you know, free ourselves or something. So I, I had this really good talk with Jesus out in the place, and we had a good conversation, right? And then even coming back, coming back, I was like, I'm going to do good. I, so God really spoke. He said, you know what, in every encounter you have, this is what he said, every encounter you have, Make the most of it. Make the most of it. Right? And so this guy, as he was driving me, I didn't want to talk to him. Because honestly, I was, it was three hours. I was kind of annoyed already. My car's broken down. My baby's gone, right? And so I was thinking, man, I just want to go home. Right? And he just started asking questions. I was like, no, don't ask questions, man. I don't want to talk, bro. He started asking questions. It came down to like, he asked me, what do you do for a living? And I was like, oh. all right. So I told him, I'm a, I'm a pastor, man. And he was like, Oh, cool, right? So let me ask you a question. He's like, okay, shoot, you know? And he asked the question, why is it that I'm never happy? I'm happy for a moment, but I'm never fully ever happy, right? And I was like, that's a big question to ask on the drive, bro, <laughs> right? 
But I said, I said, you know, as a believer, I don't search for happiness. He said, what, what? I search for joy, right? Joy is this ability to be happy in good times and in bad times. Do you have joy? And he was like, I don't know. But how do you find joy? I said, oh, good question, right? Joy is found when you have an identity, when you know what your identity is. You see, if you put your identity in money, joy is fleeting. Why? Because it goes, exactly, right? He said, dude, I get that. I said, all right, yeah. So if you, if you put your identity in your abilities, what happens? Joy is fleeting. He said, yeah, I know, right? He started sharing a story about how he, he was 17 and he had a scholarship to play ball in college, but he broke his ankle. Right? He was really good, apparently, right? He broke his ankle and he couldn't go to college anymore. He says, dude, when my ability left, so did my, so did my joy. I said, yeah, when you put your identity in things that are always fleeting, you will never have joy. When you put your identity in something that does not die, that never goes away, your joy stays with you in good and in bad. He says, bro, he's like, he's 23-year-old, so cute, right? He says, bro, that's woke, man, right? right? Thank God I know all the phrases now, right? He says, that's woke, man. You big brain. I'm like, I am, I am, yeah. right? I definitely am, you know? And he was like, like so, so like, what identity should I have, right? And I was like, well, I'll be honest with you. And I, then I shared the gospel, right? And that was the thing. See, if your identity is not found in Jesus, you're going to put your identity somewhere else. As a husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, as a doctor, pharmacist, lawyer, business person, engineer, whatever. Whatever it is your major, you put your identity in those things. And the problem with those things, and money, problem with those things are they're all fleeting right the only thing that survives and lasts is jesus christ himself who gave his life because you you were the treasure that he's willing to die for so how crazy it is that we aren't here now as disciples and as followers of jesus still holding on to our own treasures thinking that they're going to give us significance and all the while, if you have any type of wisdom, you would know those things are fleeting at best. <laughs>